0: always have fascinating conversations when I talk with my friend Scott Adams. Scott, as you know, is the creator of Dilbert, uh, one of the most widely syndicated uh, newspaper cartoon strips. He's also the author of Win Bigly and Loser Think. And uh, Scott is always fascinating because he's a master of persuasion techniques. And he really puts into practice his advice about persuasion—it's not just academic advice. He's been trained as a hypnotist. He uses his study of persuasion techniques to predict. He predicted the outcome of the 2016 election. So we talk about the 2020 election, what the right persuasion techniques for Joe Biden should be, what the right persuasion techniques for Donald Trump should be. We talk about our favorite persuasion techniques that we've been using recently, and I was really fascinated to learn from from Scotts. I've already put it into practice in my life. Uh, we talk about the news and how, you know, I, I get disturbed. Sometimes I get upset. Like, why doesn't why does the news say one thing but not another thing, which is even more important, you know? And and you know, why is there occasional hypocrisy? And and how do you how do you get over the frustration when you see things like that instead of just arguing mindlessly on Twitter? Now Scott explained why he likes arguing mindlessly on Twitter, and I explained why I don't like it. But sometimes I fall into the trap. And again, we just talk about. uh, I I, I close it out with asking Scott what his favorite new persuasion technique is, and I describe mine. Always a fun conversation. I always learn something. And it's not just important to learn something, it's important to learn something that you can put into your life and make your life better. Here we go. Once again, podcast with Scott Adams. Scott, you just said something that I want to respond to. Is you've never met someone. I- I've met somebody who has been offended on the spot with me. So one time I made a joke that Auschwitz, you could go on Google Maps to Auschwitz and leave a review. I didn't know you can leave reviews on locations. And so I mentioned this: that what does a one-star review for Auschwitz? say like they didn't keep the lawns up since 1945. <laughs> like I was just trying to figure it out. And someone got really offended with me because they lost, you know, 70 years ago or 80 years ago, they lost family members in Auschwitz. So I di- I did experience someone getting offended. <laughs>
1: yeah maybe maybe the exception is somebody still alive who knows somebody who was that that affected by something. yeah. Ah, uh, so they're, they're be the being exception. offended
0: on behalf. Everybody's always being offended on behalf of someone else, alive or dead.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. The, even in that case, it was about somebody who had already passed.
0: Yeah. So Scott Adams, once again, welcome back to the podcast. Um, you draw a, a little cartoon called Dilbert. You've also written some some excellent books, Loser Think, Win Bigly. How to Fail at Everything, and I I forget the end of that title. Still Win Big. Still Win Big. You've been on the podcast for all those books. I actually just recently reread Win Bigly. I find, and I recommend this to other people, I I recommend reading Win Bigly every couple of months because persuasion is such, it's it's about persuasion and it's about uh, the persuasion techniques used in the 2016 campaign, roughly, and it was based on also your experience uh, learning hypnosis. Persuasion is such an important skill right now. It's always been an important skill. I think it's more important than ever right now.
1: Yeah, I would say it's one of the foundational skills of a good talent stack. You know, you, you should know something about technology, something about persuasion. You ought to be able to give a speech on the spot. You know, there, there's some basic stuff that everybody needs, and I, I would say persuasion should be it. In fact, I was thinking about if you were to build a, a college from scratch, you know, and you, and you could throw out all the models of what a class looks like or what subjects are, one of the classes should be decision-making. And yeah. another, one, another one should be persuasion. And then, you know, you could add some more obvious ones after that. But if you don't start with decision-making, which you can spend two minutes on Twitter and find out that most people can't do that. Even, even simple stuff is elusive to 99% of the public and not because they're dumb, which is the weird part. You know, people think their common sense will you know, tell them all they need, but maybe one percent of the people could look at the stuff that goes by on Twitter and say, you know, that study doesn't look like a double bind or double blind. You know, that that study doesn't have whatever controls. Uh, only a few people can do that. It's a valuable skill.
0: You know, there's a there's a lot of things interesting there. And I also want to get to the obviously the Twitter social media, blah blah blah. But I think schools are gonna have to be started from scratch. Like clearly higher education now is a mistake. Like Harvard's still charging 70,000 a year for people who could, could learn, did not even learn anything online. It's just, they're gonna get the Harvard degree. People don't realize employers are gonna ask later, hey, were you actually on the campus or did you learn remotely? Like the Harvard degree is not gonna mean the same anymore.
1: Well, you know, economics usually drives everything, right? So if, uh, let's say, Ivanka's uh, thing that she's heading up where she's trying to get people who don't have a college education to be trained directly by specific companies for the things they need. If that starts working, in theory, you could get better employees at a lower cost because they don't have the, the credential. So at least they'll start at a lower cost and maybe work their way up. So you'd think that it would sort of work its way you know, it would solve itself as long as the option exists and that it would be popular, I would think.
0: Yeah. And I think it's been an ongoing discussion, like how necessary is higher education, but this, I feel like the pandemic, the lockdown, everything has sped everything up, has accelerated every discussion, has accelerated on social media, the, 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 Hatred or love for Scott Adams, for instance, <laughs> which we'll get to in a second. But because I, because I do want to ask about this education thing a little bit more. Let's say you're starting from scratch, from I don't know fourth grade. So you you know how to read, you know how to write, and you know how to add and subtract. There's 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 not that many things I would really add after that. Like I would add decision making and persuasion and maybe some skills in storytelling, which is, which is related to all three. They're all kind of linked, all three. Maybe I would add basic statistics because probabilities are, are, are important in, in life, basic probability, not advanced. And then what else would you add? Like what history do, you, do people even remember from their high school days?
1: Well, you know, uh, uh, I hate to red pill too hard too early, uh, <laughs> but a big part of the education system is brainwashing. When I was a kid, it was to you know, make you do the Pledge of Allegiance, turn you into good citizens who had a certain mindset about success, etc. And I think that was very successful. It, it may have changed. You know. I, I haven't been in school for a while, so maybe it's not doing the same good job of brainwashing. But if you don't brainwash the citizens to, to think that working together and you know, we would learn we're, we're a melting pot, and these are just sensationally positive Mental mindsets to take into the world because it allowed you to work together and have common expectations and a very functional Albeit unfair system of capitalism and if you if you let everybody homeschool What happens because there is something to a national brainwashing that works. Let me give you an example um, My understanding is that we were not always a commercial society. We were not always so consumerish in the you know, 40s and 50s, and in order to boost the economy, which also allows you to have a better military and more defense, um, there was a conscious effort to turn the country into more of a consumer-wanting um, you know, country, you know, a country that would do anything to buy more stuff, and that, that succeeded. So there was a national brainwashing to make you buy stuff, we did, it made us prosperous, made us the number one economy, our, our military is bigger, so you have that that safety. So there is a really big function of not only somebody to do daycare for your kids, which is important, frankly, uh, but socializing them, very important, learning how to deal with people, and then just turning them into good brainwashed citizens. Now, I use the word brainwashed because it's provocative, but anything that does, that gets people thinking a certain way and gets hardwired in there when they're young is kind of brainwashing. Yeah. Because
0: you figure then in the fifties and sixties, you know, you have this kind of huge, not huge originally, but you have this banking industry really grow and they make their money on lending money for people to buy homes. So suddenly the American dream included a home in the suburbs, which it had never included before with a, with, particularly with a white picket fence. So that puts a lot of fence makers in business, but The multi-trillion dollar industry was developed out of this kind of visually provocative American dream slogan.
1: Yeah, Uh, you know, if you follow it all backwards from what's the most important thing a country needs, it's probably national defense. So the only way to get that is a really strong economy. Nobody's ever really done it another way. You need a strong economy. To get a strong economy, the economy is based on a, a psychological engine, if you will. It's basically people thinking a certain way and having a certain set of expectations and, and knowing that the other people have similar ones. And then that makes an economy. And the only thing that supports that is the brainwashing of the youth. And what supports that is the schools. So you've got a fairly intricate set of things that go all the way to the existence and the ability to, to remain you know, a country and not be, not be conquered. So it's, it's a pretty delicate uh, system. And you'd have to really think carefully before you brought it all to homeschooling or online or, or something else. You could get some unintended consequences.
0: Well, and we've, we've been getting them. Like the combination of all of the recent news, The I mean, 2020 has just been a, a shit fest from day one. And it's amazing how quickly news disappears when the next news event happens like i don't know if you remember all the way back 15 years ago to january 1st there was the australian wildfires were gonna destroy australia and then it just never was in the news again like i bet you you can't tell me when the last fire in australia was when
1: when they were (laughs) extinguished (laughs) right you know even even uh trump's niece mary trump sort of came and went and Maybe he paid somebody to to do take his SATs, and we don't care anymore. On to the coronavirus. So give us something else. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: then yeah, right. He was Im- impeached. That that wasn't enough. And and look, this is regardless for anyone listening. This is regardless of what you think of him. There is news out there that's not being reported. Like if I go to any news source right now, it'll be all coronavirus. Maybe there might be one thing about Kanye West, and zero about. I'll just hypothetically like like there's a genocide happening right now in Yemen. I have not seen one news story on that. And by the way, there was I think there was like 11 people killed in New York City 2 days ago, including a couple of teenagers, nothing on that. So,
1: what's going on? Well, and take it further, take the the entire trigger for the Black Lives uh, you know, Black Lives Matter movement, the protests primarily they're about that single you know george floyd um video which made all the other issues come out and so it wasn't about the one thing but it was the trigger that makes all the other things explode at the same time but ultimately a lot of that energy in those protests was about the lowest priority for the black community which is the number of people killed by police it's you know. It, if you measure it right, as a percentage of people who have been stopped by the police, it's about the same as for white people. If you get stopped, your ratio is about the same. And even, even if you imagine there was some difference, which there isn't, it would be so small compared to the problem you just mentioned, which is education. You know, if you got the education right, then suddenly everything starts working. Easier to get a job, everybody's successful, you know, your, your parents now have some money so you can do better than the next generation. And, you know, naturally, discrimination and uh, racism would decrease just with success. You know, I I don't think Oprah gets a lot of racism in her daily life.
0: You you bring up this great point, which is that, obviously, during this lockdown, which is unusual in American history, you know, for three or four months, everybody was told to stay at home. One out of three workers lost their jobs. And certainly the the poorer communities were more affected. So that's going to create unrest. That's going to, people are unhappy. People are angry. And that was the way, like you say, it was kind of the, you know, it wasn't the one event It was kind of just the, the end of a bunch of events, but there is, there are these problems. And then, you know, these protests started to happen, but then even that got twisted in the media. So let's even say there's problems where maybe there's too much blue collar licensing. Maybe there's different educational opportunities. There's, there's reforms that need to happen, but then everything got mixed in with these rioters like so so I could tell you from my household kids got confused were rioters also the protesters was it okay to break into windows was you know you saw then in St Louis there was David Dornan uh, a, a black uh police officer foreign police officer was shot and killed by protesters but the the media, and I don't always want to blame the media because we're allowing the media to do it as a society, but the story, the, the narrative got skewed.
1: Yeah. You know, the, the business model of the media, of course, is to, to get you worked up and the best stories to do that are the ones that you see because they, they can do pretty rapid, you know, AB testing and they know exactly what gets your, your juices flowing and your, your finger clicking and, and, and their business model cooking. So, I don't think that's going to change. And it, there doesn't seem to be any correlation between um, what gets them a lot of money and attention and what's good for society. And at the moment, you know, if you take one example of that, what if hydroxychloroquine works? Now, I'm, I'm putting maybe a 30% chance on it, but wouldn't you say it's the media that took that off the table in the United States? It wasn't really the doctors, I don't think. It felt like the media made a, or the press in particular, made essentially a medical decision that other countries are making in the other direction in terms of risk management.
0: I, absolutely. Like, so my wife lived in Africa in the OOs, and she and her kids would take hydroxychloroquine every day as prophylaxis against malaria. I mean, it was the WHO is listed as one of the 12. I don't know, safest or most successful drugs over the past 50 years. It's it's a known drug. But I remember one time in in March, I was doing an Instagram Live and uh, I was mentioning hydroxychloroquine. This is, I don't even know if this was before Trump or you no, know, it was right after Trump had mentioned it, but I had been talking about it for a while. Someone came on my Instagram Live and said, no, no, it kills people. I Well, I don't, okay have doctor supervision, don't just take 70 tablets of it or whatever, but clearly it's been in use since forever. And later on another instance, similar, the same person contacted me, you know, behind the scenes and said, listen, you know, this is a Trump versus no Trump campaign. Cause I brought up that, you know, is anybody asking about Biden's cognitive decline? And, And by the way, I, I like people on both. I'm, I feel like I'm like you in 2016. I have to say, you know, I like Andrew Yang. I like a lot of Democratic candidates. I'm for a Democratic candidate for a mayor in New York City. But it just bothers me when something like hydroxychloroquine or other issues become politicized. Yeah. When, when lives could be saved. Like, why did that become a political issue?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just so reflexive that people are going to take sides that as soon as the president mentioned it in any positive way, that was it. And I don't think other countries had to deal with that. You know, not, I mean, because Trump is an unusual leader and that people will take the other side no matter what. That, that isn't quite the case in every place. I don't think. I hope not. But, but like in, in 2016, you pointed out that
0: you had never seen a persuasion expert like Trump and you predicted, you know, in March of 2015, I think it was, you predicted a Trump win, you know, a year and a half later and you were correct. I feel like... The, pers- the persuasion techniques are all across the board now. Like, I don't know what's going on on a, on a persuasion level. Maybe, maybe, like, there's some map in your mind of what's happening here.
1: You mean in terms of the president or just in general? In general. Well, uh, um, the biggest problem is that we learned in 2020 that data, uh, you know, we want to make decisions using data and we want to listen to our experts. The only problem with that model, which we all agree is the best model, is that 100% of our data is unreliable, and all of our experts have different opinions, and they're unreliable too. So what are we exactly supposed to do with that? And I think what happens is people just default to, well, I saw this on Sean Hannity, or I saw this on Don Lemon, and that's my guy, so it sounds pretty good to me. And then you have the news silos. You know, you've got the people who just don't have any exposure to news on the other side. I, I have a friend like that, anti-Trump friend. And we have you know, occasionally I make the mistake of getting into it with him. And I learned that he just doesn't have any awareness of 50% of the news. And it's because he, he reads the, you know, the New York Times and CNN and, and things. He just never sees the other argument. And when I present it, it's literally the first time he's ever heard it. And this is somebody, you know, Ivy League educated, plugged into the news, you know, really well-informed. That's how bad the silo is, that even he just didn't have a sniff of the other arguments.
0: Yeah, and in a democracy, I mean, anybody can argue what a democracy means and whether America is one or not, but I always think in a democracy, there's a, uh, many voices all rising up, and, and some voices are so fringe, you can easily say, you know what, I don't not want to listen to that one. But in general, a democracy, like the, the people who created democracy, they didn't agree with each other. James Madison and Alexander Hamilton didn't agree with each other, but they created a, 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 a great government. And here now people aren't allowed. I mean, I saw a post yesterday. Somebody said, you know, I'm moving from this color state to this color state. So I'm really afraid. I don't really want to be around people of this other <laughs> color. And why is everybody just signing up for one team or the other and not even, list, not even knowing that not listening to other voices is kind of not such a great way to live life?
1: Yeah, I think that accidentally our entire um, you know, system of government evolved into a different system that nobody voted on. And what I mean by that is that it used to be, you know, you'd elect your representative, they get on a horse, they, you know, trot off to Washington, D.C., make some decisions, and you might hear about it in six months. But, you know, today, I think social media drives the news, and, you know, and, of course, there's some interplay there. And I think that drives politics. So you have this irrational crowd making pretty much all the decisions. What, what would be a good example of anything that the government has done that didn't have popular support? Let's say Congress, because the, the president's done a few things. But let, let's say Congress. What? Think of an example of something they've done lately that did not have majority support just in the public.
0: Uh, I'm going back and thinking. Oh, oh yeah, Mar- March 23rd, they didn't pass the first version of the stimulus
1: bill. Yeah, there, there, there are some things that they haven't done. That's, that's true, that uh, they haven't gone through. So, but I would expect over time that that's just a matter of time. And, and there may be, you know, a, if you've got a 55 or a 60% majority, maybe that's not enough. But I think that um, mostly social media is driving your own team. So maybe that's the problem. Maybe, maybe uh, the Democrats can only do what social media tells them to do the Republicans can only do what social media tells Republicans to do. So it's sort of coming from the crowds, and they're they're stuck.
0: Well, okay, why are they stuck? What has driven such hatred for both sides? Like, you know, the the, the Democrats who are screaming about cancel culture, I feel like all, we, we, we see them live large on social media, but I, I feel like most people don't really care that much about oh no, Deborah Messing was just canceled. It's not like I'm not going to watch, you know, whatever that show was that she was on uh, because she was suddenly canceled and called a racist for whatever reason. Or it's not like I'm not going to read. I mean, people are burning Harry Potter books because of J.K. Rowling insisting women have cervixes and should be treated (laughs) that way. But, uh, you know, and again, on, on, on the right side, you pointed out, I think this was a couple of years ago, you pointed out if you really think Trump, was Hitler, you should act on it. <laughs> clearly no one's, no one, clearly people don't think he's Hitler, although they say it. I mean, his grandchildren are Orthodox Jews and he's been out all their circumcisions. So not that Hitler wouldn't do that, I guess, but it <laughs> seems like something Hitler wouldn't do probably. <laughs> um, so, so what has like polarized things so much? Cause I feel like in the center, most people don't give a shit and yet somehow we're still being uh, sorted into groups.
1: Well, you know, you and I and a lot of people who watch this would be in maybe the 10% who are really plugged into social media and uh, the politics of social media and the news. I don't know how many people in the country are actually this plugged in. And I think that we, the the people who are most attached to it, are getting this this jolt of adrenaline and and rewards from fighting that uh, it's, it's sort of fun, and I feel, I don't know if you feel this, but I don't dislike the fighting, meaning that there's a payoff that, you know, you don't want to admit because it says something about you, maybe. And if I put a positive spin on it, I go, well, I, I just like the good fight and, you know, I'm competitive or whatever. But I don't know if it's really a good quality. I just know I can't stop doing it. And I know that if I get in a good one, and, and other people say, ah, you burned them. You really got them that time. It makes me feel good. And that, that good feeling I can get instantly just by reaching over and picking up this little device, and I press some buttons, and I get good feelings. How in the world am I going to stop doing that? So, you know, once, once that dopamine reward thing kicks in, it causes me to be far more aggressive online then I think I would be just if I didn't get a reward. I mean, why would you be? What would be the point? <laughs> there would be no point to it. I think
0: for you, it's been a good place to also practice persuasion techniques. For instance, I seldom see you directly defend yourself because then, you know, in persuasion, you know, school, one would learn uh, don't give status to the person attacking you by <laughs> defending yourself, you know, instead start questioning their qualifications or start, you know, there's a whole list of things that, that you, uh, fantastically
1: suggest in, in win bigly. But I, I think for you, it's a good practice ground. Totally. Yeah. Uh, not only do I get instant feedback from the other commenters, uh, but I can see, you know, whether it gets retweeted and liked and all that. So yeah, it's, it's like the best little, uh, laboratory for persuasion. See, see, I, I was looking at it from a,
0: a different perspective. That I was starting to get, I found myself starting to get upset that I would see so much, just blatant, blatant hypocrisy. Like, you know, the Seattle mayor calling the the Chaz the autonomous zone uh, uh, like an arts festival until they wanted to, you know, seize her house, and then suddenly she sent in the troops and shut it all down within a day. And then it's never been in the news again. Like it was, (laughs) it was gone. (laughs) So like I I was starting to feel myself getting upset or like de Blasio saying, you know, everybody has to stop social gathering unless you're going to be the 50,000 people gathering in Washington square park for a a protest. Then it's okay. Like it, it seems to me like the, like you say, these are smart people with, educations, maybe high IQs even, and yet it's almost as like you're talking to a three-year-old at that point.
1: Yeah, you know, um, none of the hypocrisy stuff ever bothers me. And I, I have maybe some unique immunity to it. And I guess it's because the way I frame it is, uh, I don't expect anybody to be honest or honorable. So the fact that they change their mind at the drop of a hat to support the new thing, just I, I just say, oh, okay, that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. So I don't have an emotional connection to it because I don't expect it to go some other way. But if I, were, if I were de Blasio, here's how I would have defended it. I would have said, freedom of speech, number one right. It's not like anything else. Boom. End of story. So that's my advice to anybody who, any of the mayors who are saying something that sounds ridiculous to the rest of us, which is this crowd won't spread the disease, <laughs> the, the, the virus, but this crowd will. We know that's not true. He could have just said, "Look, there's a primary. There's a you know, there's one right that is just king of all the rights, or king or queen. Let's keep it gender neutral." And I would just say, "That's it. Get used to it. There's one right that is bigger than the other rights, and it has to be that way."
0: All right, this this is this is fun. Let's take all this ridiculousness and and see what persuasion technique would have maybe uh, not necessarily save this person because De Blasio didn't really ever you know nobody really blamed him for anything, but you know, how they could have persuaded better. So on the opposite side of things, Betsy DeVos in the, in the past day or so is secretary of education said, we need to send the kids back to school. Worst case, I think she said 0.2% kids will die. Uh, you know, maybe she didn't say exactly that. I don't, I'm, I'm probably misquoting, but some a number that amounted to thousands of kids dying. What would maybe a better, could she have said, look, uh, our you know, society thrives on education. We must get kids back. Like what would have been a persuasion technique she could have used
1: there? Well, I would have taken the high ground and said, look, this isn't like other situations. We don't have the option of even being smart or lucky and finding a path where nobody gets hurt. So can we agree? Can you just agree with me? We don't have that option. If we did, I'd be all over that because that's primary responsibility keep everybody safe, but having a functioning society with an educated population, and parents being able to go to school, kids having something that's good for their mental health, we've already seen the devastation from suicides, addictions, domestic abuse. We know that staying locked up is bad for us, and it's bad for us in a big way. It's hard to put a number on it, and with the virus, you can come up with a calculation, so this is where leadership comes in. There will be deaths, but it's going to happen either way. I'm going to take the way that takes the country forward. I'm going to take some heat for it, but I'll take that heat. So that's great.
0: And so the question is, why didn't, A, why didn't Trump say something like that early on when it was very clear that there was going to be collateral fatalities from the economic lockdown? Like people who needed cancer treatments weren't able to get cancer treatments. All the cancer wards were filled with empty beds waiting for coronavirus patients. Not that the virus wasn't real, but just in some states it was more serious than others. And and that might've been able to, he might've been able to get a more bipartisan coalition behind him if he said, look, there's deaths either way, but the economy, the best healthcare is provided by the best economy.
1: Uh, Let me be the CNN headline immediately after he said exactly what I said. Trump says he's going to send children to their death. Right? That's the headline. We've already seen some version of that play out. I'm not even making that up. That's basically how they treat it. They'll just lop off the part about being an adult and there's, you know, there's death either way, or they'll bury it, you know, seven paragraphs down. So it could be that he was simply responding to the political reality and thought, I'll just keep it simple we got it. we got to go back to school. we got to open up our economy. Now, the, the beauty of his approach, and, and let, me, let me not knock it, because uh, he does have a genius for simplicity and repetition, and sometimes that's what the public needs. So maybe you and I want to hear the nuanced argument, but sometimes the public just needs to be told, you have to open the economy. You have to go back to school. We don't have a better way. We're going to make this work. It's going to be hard. We're going to make it work. He he stays on message. And and I think the advantage of that, of keeping it simple, is that everybody sort of agrees. It's just something, it's hard to communicate, but I don't think there's anybody sitting at home who says, yeah, I've got a better idea, because they don't. They don't have a better idea.
0: Okay, and then what about when, so there was a press conference a few weeks ago with not with Trump, but with the press secretary Kelly. I forget about Mc or I forget what McNair. McNair? Yeah, something like that. And um all the reporters are saying, you know, how come he didn't say x, y, and Z about these monuments or the flag?" And she was like, why, why isn't anybody asking about all the shootings in the in the city across all the metropolitan areas or why isn't ever anybody asking about you know, this other investigation happening? Like, why have you just asked 30 questions in a row about the same thing, which I answered 30 times in a row? Does any reporter actually think to themselves, and, and I know your answer to this, but does any reporter actually think to themselves, huh, I should have asked that. That's a more important
1: issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can see them writing that down. Well, hold on, hold on. Should have asked about, so I can get that right next time. The murders, got it, got it, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the whole... Uh, White House press conference thing. Um, it's its just theater. And the fact that anybody treats it as anything else is the funny part.
0: I guess that's been the case all of 2020. Like, the, the best reality show of 2020 was clearly the impeachment hearings. Like, yeah. Chuck Schumer, Adam Schiff, Jim Jordan. These guys were mega. These guys were bigger than Kim Kardashian for like three weeks. <laughs> and then we just went straight into... And by the way, that was after World War III began and completely ended somehow. Like, we we killed the number two most important sacred general in Iran, uh, who was, by the way, on Iraqi soil, I guess, presumably taking a vacation or something. I don't know. <laughs> and then the news was completely gone a week later. Like, nothing happened. Coronavirus. And then economy. And then BLM. And now, I don't even know, now it's Florida, un- unfortunately, which is where I am at the moment. But Florida is now the main news item all over CNN.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they have to create a, an emergency one after another. The number of uh, kids who are having mental problems about climate change, you know, the, the thought that they don't have really any chance of growing up in a world which is, you know, not smoldering and on fire. Uh, I mean, that's just criminal that is that is absolutely criminal what they're doing to children especially since there isn't a ton of truth to that
0: yeah like when we were kids there was a real i thought i feel like legitimate worry that you know there was there was a, a a policy of mutual assured destruction from the soviets and from the us that if one side launched nuclear weapons the other side would and we would all die equally And there was a reason to be worried because, you know, you see from John F. Kennedy's days, you know, we came close to it with the Cuban Missile Crisis. So I feel like that was a little bit more legit, even though nothing happened. Climate change, whether you believe in it or not, it's not like tomorrow or next year. We've already seen people predict, hey, 10 years from now, it's all over that's been happening ever since 1970 and it's not all over yet. So now my kid says to me, well, my, my grandchildren are going to be affected, which my response is, I don't care about your grandchildren. I'm dead by then. <laughs> so, so we don't have to worry about it now, but like, it does seem like people want to concoct problems. You think there's um, obviously something primal there where we, where we attach the problems.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's some hate that, you know, you've got your usual tribalism and side-taking. But I think the business model is is primary above all those things. You know, we, we have the uh, our natural human propensity to be bad to each other and, you know, miss the truth and all that. It plays well to those things. But getting us all worked up, that's, I think the problem that we're experiencing is probably 90% the The press business model, if you change that, a whole lot of stuff would be different. Yeah. And, and
0: I mean, I, on the hypocrisy, I found I was getting angry and then I realized I just can't look at it anymore. It's not going to help me. It's have you in your digital bill of rights. Uh, you mentioned, you basically implied no one's going to be convinced of anything. Like if somebody misinterprets something, you're not going to be able to correct them and they're going to say, Hey, thanks. (laughs) I really, I, uh, now I'm interpreting it right. Thanks to what you said. Like no one's ever going to change their mind. And, uh, and and you're right. Like I see a lot of smart people just getting really into it and not doing any basic research. I mean, this really has turned the world upside down for me. I I feel like I need therapy from you on this right now. (laughs) That's why I called you. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach and it's just such a great experience like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb but whenever i'm at an Airbnb i always realize you know i the home that i left to come to this Airbnb i could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself so and i've known people i had a friend who basically you know made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway business summit. And I was so excited because side-by-side side with the business summit was the Norway chess summit where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours and they were, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So to fill up so it's like if you're hiring for your business you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up i just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs like great jobs so you know what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible zip recruiter ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now, you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see, you'll you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I... Signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop. Really, I was even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job. I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails, like "Hey, you're qualified for this or that." And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com/slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod50 for 50% off.
1: Have you done the experiment yet of taking a few days off from social media? Have you, been, have you like literally experimented with that yet? I, I have, and it does make you happier. <laughs> you, yeah, and not only does it make you happier, you're not imagining it. Like, it's, it's so profound— you know, if I, I step away for even half a day, which is a lot for me because I'm pretty active, in half a day I'll think there's no way I would have felt just this good if I had been on, on my device for the last you know eight hours. So I mean, it, it could be as simple as that. I, I got a this cool electric bike, you know, this electric assist bike. You still have to pedal it, and I I leave my garage into the California sun, and all the weight of all this stuff that was in my head and social media and all this i could feel it just washing off of me and about 2 blocks into my ride none of it matters none of it matters it just goes away and and the the, the lesson there is not that it you know it doesn't matter the because le- it mostly doesn't but uh, the, the lesson there is that it can change so easily you can tell it's a mental situation you know, you, you know, it's how you're reacting to it. It's not the stuff.
0: Well, and, and it also suggests that you're getting something like you alluded to earlier. You're getting something from it too, when you go back to it.
1: Yeah, uh, the, the payoff for me is just uh, disgustingly. Uh, <laughs> it's so obvious that I'm getting a dopamine hit from this stuff that I feel guilty. I feel like an addict. Do you think it's helped your career in any way? I mean, you obviously you're, I ama- Dilbert's,
0: I don't know, is it still the most successful syndicated comic strip out there?
1: Where's Dilbert in the rankings these days? You know, actually, even I don't know that. Uh, Garfield, I think, is the biggest for a a child, something that's aimed at younger people. Dilbert's always been the biggest for adult um, entertainment, if I can use that phrase for a comic strip, (laughs) Uh, meaning oriented toward the workplace and stuff. So it's the biggest in that sense. Um, But in terms of what the internet did for me, well, you know, I made the mistake of talking about politics, which immediately takes a third of your income right off the top. Because that, every person who said, wait a minute, that was your opinion, and you make this comic I used to like, all right, I'm done with you. So uh, I think it, I took a big hit in income, but it also allowed me to do a whole, to enter a whole new field uh, with the lowest of expectations, and you know, make, make a little bit of a dent, and create something new, which is you know, will be smaller, of course, than Dilbert, but uh, more rewarding in a lot of ways.
0: Now, in, in 2016, I feel like you were, you know, I, everybody was reading your blog to see the predictions, and you had all this great analysis of the different persuasion techniques of Hillary, and, and Trump, and the other primary people, and, and so on. But you always would qualify with saying, look, I'm not officially supporting anybody. Uh, you know, I don't want to get hurt if I take one side, and people are violent on the other side. It seems like now you're not as afraid of that. Like I feel like, like a few weeks ago, you tweeted something, which was I I don't know if I agree with, but it, you definitely were tweeting an opinion, which is that you felt you would be hunted if. <laughs> Biden wins, and and people people called you on that because that was your most extreme opinion ever. You usually back off on opinion and and
1: resort to analysis. Uh, well, uh, let me ask you, what do you think I was doing with that opinion?
0: I I my my first gut was, you were revealing a little that you were scared, like and so that there wasn't agenda. There was not an agenda to that opinion that you legitimately. We're scared, but now that you asked this question, maybe you were kind of trying to gauge how people would respond to it. I, I don't know.
1: Did, did you see the, uh, how much attention that got?
0: I did, yeah. That was, <laughs> if you go, <laughs> if you search Scott Adams on Google News right now, that's like the first article that comes up. Right.
1: Dilbert founder is, thinks he's going to be hunted. And right, so So, assuming that I knew that, piece it together what do you what I'm just seeing if 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 my motives are can be transparent go ahead I mean I guess then people would
0: be so one side's gonna think so so first off a lot of people did respond to you uh and say don't worry Scott we won't hunt you instead we're gonna give you health care so a lot of people were kind of a little snarky and you know but then it got elevated to the news level. It started being headlines. And I presume more people heard about you than had previously heard about you. And so probably some agreed with you and then started following you. Some didn't agree no, with you.
1: I will, I will, uh, I'll give you the hint that it was not about increasing my followers' reputation or money. So, so it, was not a, it was not a personal act for me. All right, this, is a, this is a good puzzle. Let me,
0: let me think about this. Give me, give, me, give me a minute. I know it's, I know it's podcast time, but we, dead time is okay.
1: Uh, <laughs> da, 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 da.
0: I mean, I, the, only, the only thing I can think is that you wanted to see
1: how crazy the reactions would be to that. Mm, no, I mean, I'm not above doing that, but that wasn't what I was about this time. Would, would you like the answer? Yes. You, by the way, you're the first person to hear this. So a lot of people have asked me about that, and I just sort of let it ride. The, the, it's a persuasion play, and I knew that it would get a lot of attention, and I knew that it would be people calling me crazy. But it would also put the thought in their mind, because the thought is real. You know, if, if you follow, let's say, conservative Twitter, you see an endless um, videos, you know, uh, et cetera, of Trump supporters being attacked in public. Usually, they're wearing a MAGA hat, which I consider uh, not um, not a good risk management decision for leaving the house. But still, it's very clear that if you're identified, in the case wearing the hat is easy identification, that in public, you will be victimized. Now, I'm not saying that if you go into a room of 100 people, that most of them will want to beat you up. Nothing like that. But if one person in there wants to beat you up, you get beat up. It doesn't take a lot, mm-hmm. and if you would see the messages that I get simply for writing about Trump, you know, uh, just simply being in the conversation, but saying that he does some things right, does things some things wrong, but if you say he does something right, wow, you will be uh, compared to Joseph Goebbels. You'll be called a Nazi. You'll be called a white supremacist. And people will mean it, and they will tweet it, and you will be branded that forever. Now, let me ask you this. What, what permission do you have if you see an actual Nazi? <laughs> right? Well, right. And then, so, well, I, so society gives you permission. It's a free punch. If, you know, uh, in the hypothetical magical world that an actual Hitler was born and you could strangle a baby Hitler, uh, yeah, You have not only the right to do it you know sort of a natural right if you will not a legal right but a responsibility you know in the in the magical sense that you knew it would save the world from World War II. so I think that this kind of language about people who say anything good about Trump that kind of language creates a situation in which you will be hunted now is the statement I will be hunted True enough to an actual description that you'd say, oh, yeah, that's an actual description of what's going to happen. No. (laughs) Was it intended to be? Of course not. It was intended to take you into the extreme version of the point I'm trying to make a larger point, which is settle down. You've created a situation where you've demonized one half of, let's say 40% of the country, the Trump supporters. So if the Democrats could take control and they had control of everything. They've got most of the mayors, <clears throat> a lot of the mayors. If they had the Congress, if they had the presidency, uh, they've already talked about stacking the court. They had the Supreme Court. What happens to the people who have been uh, labeled as racist and white supremacist? Unfairly, you know, completely unfairly. What happens to them? Well, here's what one of the things that happened since I said that. Right. Now, I'm not going to claim credit for it, but I'll tell you this is what I was aiming for. I'll call it a coincidence, and it really is a coincidence, but it was, what, it was what I was trying to hope would happen. Have you noticed in the last, I don't know, three or four weeks, the phrase white supremacist has changed to a completely different definition? Because I used to be lumped in with white supremacists who were literally racists, like literally racists. That's what it meant. That you were felt you were superior and now it's morphed so white supremacy the most common definition you see is simply the system which perpetuates the people in power staying there and historically they're white so in a mindless it's nobody's current fault we have a system that supports this imbalance it's not really about the person anymore so it's not about you being racist it's about hey if we don't work together to fix this system it's not going to work in a way that seems fair to the rest of us. That's really different. When was the last time I got called a white supremacist or or a Nazi? I think it's happened a few times, but it almost completely stopped. So the personal um, threats against me went from uh, alarmingly regular to almost nothing immediately after I said that, and it got a lot of attention. That's why I did it. But I didn't do it for myself. I did it to put it out there a little ahead of time. That's interesting. To to draw attention to that point of view just so it wouldn't be invisible because it was invisible to the entire left. It was not invisible to the right. And so I needed to send a little, uh, uh, let's say a poison dart into the left. And the way to do that is to say something that is ridiculously not true, but makes you think about something that is true. It's the same technique Trump uses all the time.
0: And and it's also interesting because if anyone does respond to you negatively, it's like suddenly they're joining this camp that you've created, of people hunting you. Exactly. So, so I was thinking about it completely from a different angle because <laughs> I I know you and I've followed all of your tweets for for years. So I was thinking, huh, is is Scott's nervous? Like is it the, you know? Whereas somebody who doesn't know you and then but they let's say they hate you, now they don't want to tweet their aggressive tweet towards you because they don't want to be in the camp that you've just you put just put boundaries around.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I should say that almost nothing scares me in that way. Like, you know, something physical, somebody's going to hunt me down, something like that. I'm never, I don't have any concerns about that for myself. I do have concerns about society starting to think that that's okay. And you see, you know, the hunted down is intentionally ambiguous because it could mean we're gonna find the people who supported Trump in my business and we're gonna not promote them anymore.
0: Right. But now you see you do see people economically hunted down. Like, you know, yesterday a friend of mine, Barry Weiss, quit from uh being a columnist at, slash editor at the New York Times. And, you know, she was very centrist. Like I wouldn't put her in one political camp or the other, but she said she was harassed at at the New York Times and you know, and then I, I think it was Andrew Sullivan quit the where he was the New Republic, and so you do see this people getting more and more who are more and more in the center are now being economically hunted down, and that that concerns me about society. Like you, you can't if you're even like if you're mildly left of center, the alt left thinks you're a racist. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, it might be that capitalism is uh, is solving this already. I, I was just tweeting this morning. There's already a list, some kind of organization, and a list of uh, companies that will hire conservatives. Really? <laughs> yeah. If, if you could imagine that that's, that's going to be a separate job search. It's like a place I can go where I won't be canceled because I voted Republican. That's where we are. But if that's what it takes and it's just harder, imagine, imagine your uh, Facebook. All right and you want to hire top engineers, well, you're lucky. You know, 80% of them are probably going to be left-leaning and no problem at all. But you really need as many as you can get. And if you're a cut-in of 20% of the market because those people are going to go to you know, XYZ company that said, look, that's one thing we're not going to discriminate against. Your politics is yours. We just need your coding. Uh, that's a big hit. To a tech company, if you're cut out of 20% of the market, and why wouldn't you be? I mean, if you had a choice and you were, you knew that you would be hunted down, so to speak, uh, or you might be at any time in the future. Why would you even want to get a get a start in a company that two years from now somebody might say, "Who did you vote for?" Okay, your ride here is over.
0: So, so, and, and it does seem like also you know, there's this, the phrase going around now, if you cancel everybody, you've canceled nobody. And it's starting to get to that point where everybody is canceled. And maybe this thing just sort of self eliminates itself, but we know that the media is going to have to keep something going or else they just are going to just shut the lights off and (laughs) all find other jobs, which they don't want to do. So I don't quite see this ending nicely. It seems like what's happening is there's, you know, there's been this theory for decades that the, the great sort is happening. So people are moving to places where everybody else politically agrees with them. So that's why we have blue states that are getting more blue and red states that are getting more red. And now it could be economically, these companies are blue companies and these companies are red companies. Just wonder how far that that goes. And then you even see it on social media, there's Twitter and then suddenly there's Parlor and, and there's other social media um, platforms.
1: You know, you have to ask yourself, is that better or worse? You know, people are making the decision for purely their, you know, for themselves and their families. So they're not thinking of society when they make these individual choices. But if you think it through, can you think of any example where people are not more comfortable around people who are substantially like them in some way? Now, you know, there's no value judgment here. Right. Yeah. So this is not about anybody's better than anybody else. But everybody's just more comfortable with people who have something in common with them. Could be the age, could be you're single, could be you're married, you know, whatever that commonality is. So, you know, if you go back two hundred years, nobody had mobility. We didn't have the internet. How do you even find people like you unless they happen to be there? And now we have mobility, we have the internet. Maybe it's just better. You know, should we discourage it? I don't know. It would be one thing if somebody said, we're going to put all the Norwegians together and we hate everybody else and we're not going to do a trade deal with you. Okay. (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen. I think people are just going to go where they feel comfortable and it'll be fine. I
0: guess it seems sad to me that politics is the thing people care so much about that that's where they're willing to draw the line on friendship, family, business opportunities. Like rather than being... And I'll just be, you know, I'll just exaggerate, but rather than making the dividing line, oh, I'm going to hang out with kind people as opposed to unkind people. (laughs) Like, well, you know, politics is a little bit of a fiction, right? Because we don't know truly what how Joe Biden feels about things. We don't know truly how Donald Trump feels about things like politics, as you pointed out, is a narrative, is a a story of persuasion.
1: You know, the, the most damaging thing about it is the thing that you see uh, on the news and social media is that people, um, they attribute a t- intent to people that isn't there. So the biggest problem with conservatives is that the entire left thinks that they have bad intentions, that they're, that they're thinking bad things about them, they, they hate them, they, they want to dominate, they, you know, there's a whole set of false beliefs about the right and if you spend any time over there, they just want to be left alone and play by the same rules as everybody else. <laughs> you know, it's really kind of simple, and uh, it's to me that's the the most frustrating part about the divide is that it's not real. You know, the, it's an assumption about how somebody else is thinking, which is supported by turn on CNN. What is, what does all the commentary say? Uh, I think the president's real purpose is he. He hates chickens, or whatever it is, you know, whatever damn thing. But they're, they're literally saying that they can imagine what he's thinking and feeling. And I, I look at it and go, I don't know. I would have guessed exactly the opposite of that, but I can't read minds either. You know, maybe it's just my bias, but I know you can't read minds. You know, I'm pretty sure I can't, but I know you can't either. So I, I think it's that mind-reading illusion, the, the placing of intent on strangers it's just ruining everything. And they'll always
0: do it. Like no matter what I put out there on social media, I'll have some people call me a libtard and some people call me a trumptard. Like cuz I cuz for me, I don't really I don't really care enough to let people know what I think. I care about other things that I feel are a little are different. You know, not not judging people who care about political issues. I just don't believe any politicians enough to care about you know, what's going on in that arena, but people care so much, they will hate you and they will assume you're on the opposite side if you don't mm. immediately agree with them. That's where the mental, they're trying to read your mind. And if you don't agree exactly, then you're all the way on the other side. But um, so, in terms of persuasion going from now to the election, what's, how would you outline the different games that or narratives that Biden and Trump need to have? Like, Like, like one question is, does Make America Great Again and I'm just talking technically. Does that work as a slogan for Trump trying to win over fence sitters?
1: No, I think I don't think it would be the best idea to reuse his slogan. Um I, I guess this is the first time you could say again and maybe get people to agree that he means, you know, February 19. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but that's a little too much mental gymnastics and, and the the hat has been so demonized you know, the, the logo, that uh, it's just time to retire it. It did its job. It will go into the history books as one of the top slogans and persuasion and branding of all time. But it's time to retire it. Um, I would say in terms of strategy and persuasion, Trump just needs to stay out of trouble because things are really going to start heading his way in a major way. If you just look at the, the trends that you know are fairly certain, the, the economy is coming off a low spot, so the percentage increase will look impressive, just the way uh, Obama looked impressive. And I think he did a good job, by the way, of bringing us off the bottom of the economic crisis. So you always get those gains, and those gains are going to be kicking in just about Election Day. It's going to look impressive.
0: I'll remind people from your book, I believe it was from Win bigley you know, stating direction is more important than stating state. So he right. doesn't have to say, you know, these are the number of jobs lost. He just says, oh, we're 8% up every month. It's the biggest since 1959, blah, blah,
1: blah. Yeah. So I think the economy is going to look like uh, surprisingly good. Uh, I was on the camp of saying uh, way early. I was telling everybody, look, I know it looks like a Great Depression. You are going to be so surprised that this is way better than you think, the recovery part. So far, so good. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But that was based on the assumption that our ability to communicate was so good. And uh, people were already trained for the jobs that they were going into, so it should have been easier. So the economy will be uh, pro-Trump by far. Then you've got the coronavirus. I think think people are going to look around the world and see that there's all kinds of mixed things. You don't know why anything was wrong. But here's the argument Trump can make. I followed the experts' recommendations with one major exception, and I was right, which was closing travel from China when he did. That's the only time he deviated from the experts, and he was unambiguously right. And so So the
0: the other side, the CNN will say, you didn't have a travel ban because hundreds of thousands of people were traveling freely if they weren't Chinese nationals. So it it seems like there's a response for everything.
1: Yeah, yeah. But uh, in terms of what the public and the voters will understand, that kind of nuance gets a little bit lost. You know, but it is true he closed you know, he closed some, but he could have closed more. Now, so, and then the back-to-school thing I think is going to work really strongly to his favor. And the fact that he wanted to encourage people to reopen businesses and get in the economy before the medical experts were quite comfortable with it, I think that works in his favor with the public because the public knows this is going to be costly. They know people are going to die. And they choose it. I think it's the popular choice. People just don't like to verbalize it, but they understand it. It's you know the the coronavirus is basically a war in which children and the senior citizens were inscripted, you know, enlisted or inscripted. They didn't want to be, but they're in the fight, and it's a fight for civilization, basically, because we we got to keep the lights on, we got to keep the economy running. It's not about greed. It's about making sure poor people can eat and get health care and all that. And it's a war, and people are going to die. And I think that Trump did a good job of um, sort of describing it as a war early on. Uh, but I think he could carry that into the economic opening because we're going to see the death rate rise. That, that feels like that's a guarantee. You know, I hope not, but it looks like at least a little bit is going to rise. And I think you should just say, look, Nobody wanted this war, but we're all in it, and it's not going to be pretty, but this is still the best path. And I think, I think the public's going to uh, be on that side. And then the next trend, and you're seeing it quite, uh, I think, clearly, is Biden's decline. And uh, I think he'll have to skip all of the debates. It's the only shot he has. And I think that if he does people are going to understand why. <laughs> so so if you
0: were if you were a Biden's team and and let's you know assume Biden has a smart team uh what what would be the messaging there? Like like let's let's steel man this. Like what what should Biden do to to win?
1: Actually, I think everything he's doing suggests that he has excellent advisors at the moment because they are keeping him out of the public. That's smart. Uh, they're announcing plans where the plan can be the star for a while. So here's my $2 trillion climate change plan, and then it's the plan that's the news, not Biden trying to talk. So that's brilliant. I I think uh, simply keeping him exactly where he is, the polls are suggesting that that's what people want. So don't make a mistake and be be plan-oriented. And, um, and that's probably the best they can do.
0: How does he navigate the debate problem? Cause you're right. He probably can't do a debate, but like you say, if he doesn't do a debate, it's tricky. They're going to call. I mean, all the news will say, you know, they can't do debates for a coronavirus, but clearly he could do a debate on zoom for instance. Like how does he, how does he navigate that? From, if, if you were him, how would you navigate that from a persuasion perspective?
1: Well, You you could, I I guess the best way to navigate that is to say debates don't work. And you might say, especially they don't work if Donald Trump is the other person we're working with. But let me suggest something better. You know, uh, why don't you send us some questions and we'll give you more detailed answers. And perhaps we could have some back and forth. But having this little arbitrary time limit on answering doesn't serve the public It would endanger people because it would bring us together no matter how carefully we were. But it's not going to help the public, so why should we do this? Here's a better idea. I'll tell you what I think. You can set up the questions. I'll say this week CNN will ask all the questions and both of us will answer, maybe have a little interplay, you know, a couple of rounds of that. But then the public can see exactly what we're we're up about, you know, exactly what our plans are, and we won't have these arbitrary time limits and interruptions and things that don't help anyway.
0: Yeah. That's that's interesting. So, all right. So I know, look, I, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I, I, we, we texted back and forth just this morning and a few hours later we're on the podcast. I, I super appreciate it. I, you're, are you on your honeymoon? Like what's going on? You just got
1: married. <laughs> I'm self-quarantined. I, I have a, uh, a minor surgery from some sinus stuff in a few weeks. And part of the process during coronavirus is you have to be quarantined for two weeks before surgery. So, uh, so, uh, no
0: Hawaii.
1: It's not, well, there was no place to go. Yeah. So, so we had postponed the honeymoon just until we had some place to go.
0: So final question in the past few months, obviously you've been super active on Twitter. You've been studying the persuasion, you know, philosophies of all these different political parties and sides and so on. What's what's a new favorite persuasion technique that has risen to the top that has impressed you and has risen to the top? Cause, oh. cause I know there's gotta be one. I'm I'm always looking for these. And if, if one happens, I'll tell you mine. Okay. This, this one, um, is called, uh, qualifying, which is basically if someone attacks you, you don't defend, you never use the word. I like, I didn't say that you say you, you make them qualify. Like, you know, who are you to really ask me that? Or where were you that you know I think this? Or whatever. So you make someone else p- prove their qualifications and that gives you status.
1: Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I, I'm not sure if this uh, uh, qualifies as new, but one of the most effective things you can do, and I haven't used it enough, is that is to ask a question that simply allows the person to talk themselves into it later. So in other words, it's a little question Time bomb and let me give you an example Uh, Let's say you're a conservative and you want to convince people to like Trump But they think he's a big old racist and you say you know, I hear what you're saying Yeah, there's a lot of lot of people talking about that, but I've got this question. I haven't figured out yet if he was supporting those people marching in Charlottesville like you say and calling them fine people when they were clearly chanting anti-semitic things I'm trying to figure out why Israel hasn't noticed that yet. Because that's exactly the sort of thing they're looking for. You know, you'd think that their censors would pick that up. and, like, hey, he's supporting those guys who are anti-Semitic. We, we hate him. But in fact, they're putting his picture on buildings, and he's the most popular president in Israel ever. I'm trying to figure it out. Do you have any insight into that? And And you just... That's just an example, right? But you can find lots of examples. Here's, a, here's another easy one. You know, uh, I remember all the things that people said would go wrong because of the presidency. And one of them is they say he'll ruin international relations. And I'm trying to think, which, which country would not take our call because of Trump? Because, you know, I follow the news, but I haven't seen anything like that. There must be something like that by now with all the trouble he's caused. But if, if he wanted to, let's say, do a deal with uh, Canada or Russia, w- would they not take his call? How does that work? In what specific ways are we damaged? Because we're the laughingstock of the world, so they won't do a trade deal? Or can you explain what that looks like in actual ways I could observe? So, so those are just two examples.
0: I, I like it because, uh, it's, it's a talent stack of persuasion techniques, right? Because you have one technique where it don't never disagree with somebody, just take what they're saying and add to it. And when you do add questions, you're sort of giving them status in such a way that they're not going to want to disappoint you.
1: Yeah. And, and, and so it works. Part part of the technique is from a hypnosis technique, which instead of uh, being the outsider who's disagreeing, and then you're you're immediately framed as the enemy, and nothing gets through. You immediately take their side, but you take it like uh, Stephen Colbert when he, he's playing, you know, the the ridiculous character. Right. So you so you take the side, but you you add some ridiculousness to it that even makes them see. All right, all right, you're even on my side, and I, that even doesn't make sense to me. Perfect. Well, Scott Adams, once again, congratulations
0: on your marriage. Good luck on surgery. Try not to get hunted
1: down too much.
0: <laughs> uh, and once again, thanks for coming on the,
1: on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's always a treat.